Well, if you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Romans? We are in the last chapter of the book of Romans as we have been plugging through for the past several, several months. Uh, we find ourselves in Romans 16. Romans chapter 16. So I invite you to turn there. I'm just going to read one verse, but today we are going to go from verses 1 to verse 16 of chapter 16. So Romans 16. And if once you get to Romans 16, if you would hit reverse and go to Romans 15, 33, that's the last verse uh, before we go into Romans 16. That's the verse I'm going to read. Romans 15, 33. In true Pastor Ronjour fashion, when you're there, say I'm there. Amen. I want to read one verse and pray. Romans 15.33 says this. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Father in heaven, we ask that you would use your word to, be, to bring rest to our unsettled souls. To bring peace. We come in and you know our hearts. You know our fears. You know our fatigue. You know what overwhelms us in this moment. But you also know of your great glory. That you are the God of peace. So give us eyes to see you. Give us hearts of humility that would receive your love for us today. And to be so convinced that nothing will separate us from your love that we can trust you no matter what we face. So I ask that you would use every story shared, every song sung, every prayer prayed and every word from your Holy Scripture to strengthen your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we gather uh, specifically in November and December, we have made it a point at Treasure Christ Church to highlight the work of church planting, both nationally and to the ends of the earth. And I just want to stop and maybe say the obvious, but... Many times, I think I miss the obvious. Why do we do this? Why do we take all this time to share stories about what God is doing? Why do we take this time to highlight churches are being planted all over this nation and to the ends of the earth? Why do we take time to highlight the fact that God has given us resources to give and that we have a responsibility to pray? Why do we do this? First of all, we celebrate our common mission. A church gathers together because they agree about something. They agree about who God is. They agree about how they're going to love one another. And they agree about this common mission that they share. What we are hearing is part of this common mission that we agree to be a part of. We get to hear God's promises that he's going to be doing a work in us and far beyond us, we get to hear about his character that sustains his mission. That's why we do it. Why else do we report about what's going on? 
Because we need to be reminded that God is at work. Do we not? We do. We need to be reminded when dear brothers and sisters share these stories, we need to be reminded that this world is massive and our God is bigger. He's at work. He's at work in your life as an individual. He's at work in our church and he is at work all over the globe. It's meant to increase our faith. It's also meant to help us stay a part of the Great Commission, which is planting churches among all peoples. Don't forget that Jesus said he'll uniquely be with us when we plant churches among all peoples. That's the Great Commission work as we make disciples. And I think it also helps us to remember that God's mission is not just an idea. It's carried out by you and I. Flesh and blood. Real people with real struggles, real pains, in need of real encouragement, in need of real prayer, in need of real dollars and cents. It puts flesh upon an idea. And then it also helps us see where we've gotten a little sleepy. Where we've gotten a little sleepy to the fact that God wants us to be awake in his mission. Prayerful generous, eager, encouraging. Dear friends, we give these reports because this is what God, I think, would have us do. And I do believe this is what Paul is doing in Romans 16. I had this thought. You get a, let's say you have a village. The village is an agrarian society, so they're growing a lot of their crops. So what they don't know is all their soil is contaminated. So they're producing food, and the food actually looks good, but it is laced with contaminated poisons. And so they are eating this food to their death. If we heard of a story like that, we would be broken and hurting over the fact that that place needs a grocery store, right? Like they need some type of a store that would supply healthy food with shipping lanes that could get them there. And so we would be all about grocery store planting, right? Not church planting, but grocery store planting. Like it would make a ton of sense. The need would feel urgent. Thousands of people dying without healthy food. And yet that same type of clicking, urgency, the outrage or tragedy, it sometimes is lost when we talk about church planting. Thousands and millions of people all over the globe, their souls are contaminated with what they're giving their hearts to. And what is needed is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to spiritually land in these contaminated places his church, to show them a better way. This is what we were hearing in these videos. This is what we're hearing in these reports. God has designed that his church goes into dark areas so that the spiritual malnourishment, the spiritual poisoning that's happening could be reversed by the power of the gospel of God. And so this is what Paul was about. If you remember when we started the book of Romans, which you don't, it was a long time ago. If you remember, Paul had been working to establish Christ-treasuring churches all throughout the eastern part of the Roman Empire. 
from Jerusalem and Antioch and Galatia and what was called Asia at that time, which is like Turkey and Ephesus. He was planting churches, and he would go back, and he would seek to strengthen those churches. And he would go back, and he would plant more churches, and then he would go back to strengthen those churches. And then the gospel began to spread, and he wasn't able to go to certain churches, so he would write letters. Letters to encourage these churches and to strengthen the churches until he could come or a representative could come. Now Paul's desire is to get to Rome as a means of going through Rome to get to Spain and take the gospel to the unreached peoples there. But what he first needs to do is, as we heard last week, he has gathered an offering from these multiple churches that have been planted so that he can take this offering to Jerusalem where there has been a famine and there's extreme poverty among the church there in Jerusalem. So while Paul is going to be taking that Offering back to Jerusalem, he's writing this letter of encouragement to strengthen the church at Rome. And now what we come at the end of the letter is a pretty massive conclusion. It's an extended conclusion. It's a lot of ink spilled. And why does he write it? He writes it to honor the laborers in the gospel, to remind the church he is at work, to stir up the church, to be on mission, to start more churches, and to encourage them to be the people of God where they are. The same reason why we're giving reports is the same reason he's writing this conclusion, to strengthen the churches. Now, as you look at this conclusion, verses 1 to 16 of Romans 16, what we need to see is the way Paul concludes and strengthens this church happens in a lot of other letters as well. But when he's in strengthening this church, what we see him doing is telling the church to commend, to welcome, to help gospel laborers by giving financially. And then he also seeks to warn them and instruct them and to also commend Jesus to them. Pastor Ron Jure will finish out the book of Romans next week. Verses 17 forward are warnings and instructions. And then verse 25 forward are just prayers of praise and adoration as Paul is commending God to them. But where we get to land today is how is Paul strengthening this unique church? He's doing it in four ways. One, And I think it's a mirror of how we strengthen one another. So how do we strengthen one another? We report to one another about the work of God. Two, we greet one another. And we'll talk about what that means. Three, we commend Jesus in one another. And four, we commend Jesus to one another. How was Paul strengthening this church at Rome? He was reporting, he was encouraging them to greet, he was commending Jesus in them, and he was commending Jesus to them. How do we strengthen one another in this work of being on God's mission? We report what God is doing, we greet one another, we commend Jesus in one another, and we commend Jesus to one another. So let's dive in here. Number one, how do we strengthen one another? We report to one another. Romans 16, part of what Paul is doing is he is telling them how God has been at work and how God is at work, specifically among the people assembled in their presence. So look at Romans 16, verse 1. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, 
She's a servant of the church at Concre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. Most believe Phoebe is the one that brought this letter, the letter to the Romans, to the church itself. And so Paul begins with her because likely he is her reference letter. He is saying, trust this woman. And now she brings, as a leader in a previous church, she brings the letter to the Romans to the church itself. Now he calls her a servant of the church at Concrete. Now that word servant can mean Deacon. It's the exact same word that's, that means deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is an office of the church. We don't know fully if she was a deaconess of the church at Concrete or if he's just saying that she is a notable servant. But at minimum, what we know is she was a recognized leader in the church and she was trusted with the very words of God to deliver to the church at Rome. Remarkable. Now, Concray, where she was from and where she was a leader in the church, was near Corinth. So think of Greece, modern-day Greece. And so she was in general proximity to ride from Greece around the boot of Italy and head to Rome. Now, also it says in, at the end of verse 2 that she was a patron of many and of myself. That word refers to financial material support. That she was supporting Paul and she was supporting others in the gospel work. So whether it's Phoebe or you read about Epaphroditus in the scriptures or other leaders, this is in part why we as Treasuring Christ Church take trips of encouragement to our existing workers. It is a gospel necessity that not only are churches planted, but that people go and strengthen and encourage those churches. To keep going, to not lose heart. If anything you heard from a testimony that was given today, you can see the vital necessity for the people of God to remind those who are on these front lines, pioneering areas that God is still at work. And that they're loved, that they're not forgotten. And this is what Phoebe is doing. And this is why we spend time reporting, why we spend time going. Now then we read in Romans 16, 3-5, we read about Paul reporting about another uh, woman and specifically another couple, Prisca, or she's known as Priscilla in other texts in the scriptures, Priscilla and Aquila. Listen to the Bible. The Bible says, verse 3, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. Great image there to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks at well, as well. Greet also the church in their house. And greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia. Now, what we see is if you do a little history study in the book of Acts, you see in Acts chapter 18 that Paul originally met this couple in Corinth after they had been kicked out of their country because of religious persecution. They were in Rome. 
And while they were in Rome, Emperor Claudius renders an edict that all the Jews have got to get out of town. This is A.D. 49. More than likely, he issued that edict because the Christian gospel was going into Jewish synagogues and it was creating all kinds of mess. So he's like, I'll tell you how to get rid of the mess. Get out of my country. And so he sent them away, Priscilla and Aquila, part of this evacuation. They find themselves in Corinth, which is where Paul meets them in Acts 18. And what is unique about them is them and Paul, they shared the same occupation. They were tent makers. This is how they made their living. But they also, as chapter three, or chapter uh, 16, verse 3 says, they were fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They were co-laborers in the gospel. They linked arms in taking the gospel in the area of Corinth. We also find them as those who were uh, located in Ephesus with him. And now they have found themselves back in Rome. But it was in Ephesus in Acts 19 that you see where Paul was under deep persecution. He was being slandered. He was being attacked. And this is probably the very space when Aquila and Priscilla risked their necks to save his life. Was in Ephesus when Paul was undergoing such attack and slander and persecution. So Aquila and Priscilla were gospel partners. They were encouragers to the church. And Paul wanted this Roman church to know who they were. So he gave a missionary report. These are the people that are in your presence. You need to know who they are. Trust them. Love them. Greet them. Now interestingly, I do want to mention Priscilla. Because here she's mentioned before her husband. Which is not normal. In kind of this era of living, you would mention the husband first and then the wife. She's mentioned not only first here, but she's mentioned first three other times in the New Testament. We're not exactly sure why that is. It could be because she was converted first. It could be that she had a higher social standing. It could be because of her leadership ability. We have no idea. But either way, Paul highlights her involvement in church planting among the nations and in supporting him in his work in verses 3 and 4. This sets the stage for what Paul uniquely does in Romans 16, 1 to 16. Because out of the 27 people mentioned in these 16 verses, 10 of them are women. 10 of them are women. You have Phoebe in verses 1 and 2, Priscilla in verse 3, Mary in verse 6, probably Junia. There's a little bit of textual debate on whether it's a male or a female, but more than likely it's a female, Junia. Then you have in verse 7, in verse 12 you have Tryphena, Tryphosa. They are more than likely twin sisters. And you have Persis in verse 12. Then you have Rufus's mother in verse 13. You have Julia and Neresis's sister in verse 15. Paul most certainly was not the male chauvinist that our culture wants us to believe he was. He was not. If he was a male chauvinist, he would have uniquely written them out of this storyline. Instead, he intentionally wrote them in the storyline. Because these women were the essential part of God's gospel spreading work. He honored these women. Four of the women he honored as hard workers for the gospel. Verse 6 and in verse 12. And it's not applied to anyone else in the list. He just says uniquely, these were hard workers. Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis. 
Another woman of note in the text, Romans 16, 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. It says, verse 7, they were well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So this couple was converted before Paul and they were fellow prisoners. They were of Jewish origin. That's what my kinsmen means. And they were well known to the apostles. There's a little bit of debate on whether they were apostles themselves. That means little a apostles, that is church planting missionaries, or whether they were well known to big A apostles, we're not really sure. But what we are sure of is that this couple were uniquely used to not only encourage Paul in prison, but in helping plant churches. They were part of this missionary endeavor. Now, he never called any of these women pastors or overseers. But he did call them fellow workers, hard workers in the service of the Lord, church planting missionaries, and servants of the church, more than likely calling Phoebe a deacon. He wanted the church to honor these women. I belabor the point because this is so misunderstood from the Christian scriptures. Paul wants the church to honor these women. And these women had an essential role in the spreading of the gospel. So, Paul wanted to report this to the church. And not only that, but in Paul's reporting, he was not only establishing credibility of these people, but he was also highlighting the other aspects of diversity in this church. Not only were there strong women leaders, yes, strong men leaders, but you also have ethnic diversity. Aquila and Priscilla, they were Jewish. But you also see in verse 7 and verse 11, he uses the word kinsmen. That means those who are his race, his ethnicity. There were other Jews that were in this list, in this church, but many of them were Gentiles. So we know this church was filled with, yes, ethnic tension, Jew and Gentile battles. That's what Romans 14 and 15 were about. But also they were socially diverse. I mention all these things so that you can better understand the text, but here's what I mean by socially diverse. There were multiple classes represented. There were poor and there were wealthy. More than likely, this is the case and here's why. Let me give you some names. Verse 8, there is an individual called Ampliatius. Verse 9, Urbanus. Verse 14, Hermes, Philologus, and Julia. Verse 15, all these were common names for slaves in this time period. The lowest of the low, those of the social class that did not have much access to anything, and those who were outcasts, and here they are cited as part of the church of God, the church in Rome. But you also have freed individuals, those from a more upper echelon, kind of higher income status. You have Aristobulus in verse 10. If you look at verse 10, Aristobulus, he actually is the grandson of Herod the Great and a friend of Emperor Claudius. It means they got some mad money and some mad power connections, okay? And then you've got Narcissus, 
which, yes, we, <laughs> I don't know this man, so I'm not going to speak to his, uh, his psychological makeup, but <laughs> Narcissus, he was a well-known, wealthy, powerful, freed individual who had great influence in Emperor Claudius's life. Now, what is mentioned in this text is not that Aristobulus and Narcissus were believers, but that some from their families were. So some in their families had come to faith in Jesus Christ, which means they had had lives of some type of privilege and power and financial means. They were freed, not slaves. They had come to faith in Jesus. They were part of this church. And then you have kind of maybe the spiritual elite. If you look at verse 13, it says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who had been a mother to me as well. Do you know who Rufus is? Fascinating as I studied some of this. Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross, had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. More than likely, this Rufus, a part of this church in Rome, his dad carried Jesus' cross. So he was of kind of this spiritual kind of, wow, that's, that's Rufus, you know? That's like, that's like the, you think of some famous spiritual person in your life, and it's like, oh, that's their son, you know? Somehow we do this kind of connective thing that happens, and so he's mentioned here. Paul sends greetings in this letter and reports of their lives so that the church would know God is at work. He is at work to plant churches. He is at work all over the globe. He is at work in your church among rich and poor, slave and free, Gentile and Jew. This God is at work. That is how Paul chose to strengthen the church, to report to them what was going on. But he not only reported of them 26 people. We're told to greet I said there were 27. Phoebe, we're not technically told to greet her. We're told to commend her, though. I'm assuming they also wanted her to be greeted. 26 people, 24 of whom he adds some type of personal connection to. He knew these people. And I think this gives us a tip as to why in the world he says over and over and over, 17 times in 16 verses, 21 times in the whole chapter of chapter 16, he says, greet. Greet one another. And so we strengthen the church through reporting, but we strengthen the church through greeting. These conclusions at the end of Paul's letters, they were meant to comfort and encourage, to strengthen, and to give people a glimpse into the affectionate, the affectionate love that was supposed to characterize the church of God. Greeting was something that was assumed to have affection attached to it. It is not our, hey, how are you? And then you walk away before you get an answer. It's not what this is. As you just sample a couple of concluding paragraphs from Paul I went through every one of his letters and I looked at every conclusion I just want to give you one sample second Corinthians chapter 13 it says this aim for restoration 
Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Why do I mention this? Because these same type of purposes are the purposes of this Romans conclusion. Comfort. Restoration. Agree with one another. Live at peace with one another. And do you see how he is commending God to them? This God of love and of peace. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. The very, ver- the very words he uses at the end of our passage today in verse 16. But then if you look at one other conclusion, I'll give you Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. It says, greet every saint in Jesus Christ. The brothers who are with me, they greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I think you could summarize not only this conclusion, but 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, even Hebrews, and 1 Peter with these two things. Greet and highlight grace. Greet one another and highlight grace. This is what he wants us to do When he is saying, now greet one another. Greet one another. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And this is why I read the verse that I read before. He said in verse 1533, may the peace of the Lord be with you. He'll say later on in verse 20, next week's passage, may the grace of the Lord be with you. And sandwiched in between is church, be known for greeting. Be known for greeting. He summarizes this in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let me say it this way. The greeting work is the foundation laying work of God's house. Because you have been greeted. You've been accepted. You've been loved. You've been looked at and chosen God has set his affections upon you and therefore he wants you to do that with other people. Not in a saving way, but in a horizontal way that communicates the God that's changed your life. The church is meant to be known as a greeting people. A people that choose joy, that express and lavish affection. They welcome one another as Christ has welcomed them. It's not just greet those who are like you. It's greet those who could feel inferior or could be of a different ethnicity. It is love them. Be happy to receive them. Greet is a command that has built-in affection. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The holy kiss part is not a command for us today. That is not your application. Okay? But surely, you cannot rip away affection from the greeting that's what he means this greeting is an affectionate greeting it is a thankful greeting it's opposed to divisively talking about people or gossiping or critical critically judging people it is a greeting with an affection because God has lavished you with his affection loved ones love And it is honestly not waiting for your heart to feel affection before you go and greet somebody. 
Isn't it ironic? He did not give this command to only the extroverts. He did not say, those of you who are really good at connecting with people, you do the greeting. Introverts, extroverts. All the church, those who have passed baggage and hurt, those who don't, we all are to be known as greeters, welcomers, affectionately loving one another because we have received the all-satisfying steadfast love of Jesus. And because he doesn't distinguish this, you might feel like, but I don't feel it. Like, how can I go up to somebody and, you know, pretend like everything's okay? And when it's not, you're not pretending, you're choosing love by asking them how they're doing. It's a choice. It's not fake. And many times when you choose to obey commands like this, God does a work in your heart. I can't tell you how many times I have honestly not really wanted to kind of come to church. And I remember Ray Ortland articulating that he had the same experience. But there are most of the times when I come to church, I don't want to leave. Why is that? Because God does something supernatural in this moment. Through our obedience, he changes us. The same thing happens when you greet somebody you don't know. When you ask somebody, how can I pray for you? It's not about you feeling that in the moment. It's pleading for God to make you affectionate. I know when I was a parent of little tiny kids, this is something that was always a battle. You have your kids standing next to you. An adult comes up and they usually, you know, they don't look at you. They look at the kid and they say, hey, how are you? And the kid ducks their head and hides behind their leg. And it's just like, and you're like, man, I tried to get them to learn how to greet. And so, okay, hey, look them in the eye. And they bury in their head, you know. It's just, no, no, look them in the eye. And they still don't do it. And, and then you usually have some type of line where you're like, we're working on it, you know. And then you just have an adult conversation. But what we keep doing is I keep trying to train my children, and we would role play in our house. Somebody comes up to you. What do you do? You look them in the eye. You smile. You answer their question with words, not just, mm. You know, it's just like you're teaching them. Why do, why do I do that? Is it just some, you know, finicky? You're teaching them how to respect a human. You're teaching them that that person that's in front of them is valuable, and that's how you communicate value. You look them in the eye. You listen to them. You actually answer them. And then as your kids get older, you also have to have this conversation. It's not enough just to receive if somebody approaches you. What about going to someone else and asking them how their day is? And then many times your kids will say what you feel sometimes, but they say it out loud. And that is, but I don't really care what's going on in their life. Literally, those things have been said. And I'm like, I get that, but God wants you to care. And so how do you get to care? It's not waiting for caring to happen. It's going and doing the hard work of how can I pray for you? How are you doing? Listening creates loving. Time creates the affection. Prayer is what will birth this greeting heart of love. And so Paul is saying, 
The point is not for you to feel it. The point is for you to do it in the strength that God supplies. We are a greeting people. We have beheld Jesus. He unnecessarily lavished his affection upon us, undeservingly came to us. This is Christmas. He came to us. He got near to us when we were those little children, hiding our heads behind, ducking, not wanting anything, yelling sometimes like against him. And he says, I love you too much to let you go. And he holds us. And he says, I love you. Now show that to one another. That's what he, Paul is saying here. Show that to these people in and among you. Show it to a lost and dying world. So how do we strengthen the church? We report. We greet. But we also commend Jesus in one another. So what does that greeting look like? It's not flattery to talk about what is going well in somebody else's life. Paul totally is able to say, those women were hard workers. He's teaching us how to greet. He's teaching us how to encourage. He's teaching us that we should acknowledge where the grace of God is at work in one another. And so sadly, we are really quick to know where the faults are. But we have to learn to get really quick at looking for the graces in one another and talking about them. There's not one word of criticism in these 16 verses. Greet them, because this is what I noticed in them. And God is at work. We've got to be a greeting people. How did he commend God in the individuals in this church? Verse 1, Phoebe is called a sister. She's part of the family. Verse 1, she's called a, a deaconess or a servant in the church. She's honored for her leadership position. Verse 2, she is told to be in the Lord. She's part of this family. It says, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, fellow workers are Aquila and Priscilla. That means these individuals kept me from being alone and we labored together. And I just want to speak about what God has done in their lives. Verse 4, he says, I give thanks for their sacrifice. And not only me, but all the churches give thanks for their sacrifice. They stuck their neck out for me when I was in danger. So I want to give thanks. What's he doing? He's highlighting their sacrificial lives. He calls Epinatus in verse 5, my beloved. I love that guy. He's the first convert in Asia which is probably in the church of Ephesus, which is probably why now he finds himself in Rome. He came back with Aquila and Priscilla, and he's probably in their house church. But you hear all of these affectionate terms. Verse 13 even says, this one is chosen in the Lord. That's Rufus. Greet Rufus. He's chosen in the Lord. Paul really wants us to commend God at work in each other. Why is he doing this? He is catechizing the church. He is teaching them how to greet. He is teaching them how to talk, what to highlight when you're looking into the lives of others. He's pointing out grace. But not only is he commending Jesus 
in one another, finally he's commending Jesus to one another. To one another. To commend Jesus in you is to commend Jesus for you. Here's what I mean. When I say, I'm so thankful for your hard work. Or if I say, I see God at work in your life. You're just a servant. You are sacrificing. And I just thank God so much for working that in you. I'm not only honoring you, but I'm commending the God who works in fragile humans like me and you to accomplish his great purpose. When I commend Jesus in you, I'm telling you that Jesus is for you. And he highlights that in some of the phrases he used to describe these people. These people, they're in the Lord. That means he's hiding them. He's he's sheltering them. They are attached to him. When he talks about Rufus and he says, Rufus is chosen in the Lord. Like, We're in the book of Romans for crying out loud. He tells us what choosing means before the foundation of the earth, before anybody did good or bad. He set his affectionate love upon this individual. He's meaning to communicate his security, his grip, his affection. When he talks about us as family, he is communicating that our God has us. He's for us. We have a common father. When I say you're my sister or you're my brother, I'm not only saying I'm so thankful God's at work in your life and he saved you. I'm saying that this God is keeping us all together. He's keeping us together. And this is why I highlight the verses that I want to end on. Paul is strengthening these churches through reporting through telling the church to greet, through commending Jesus in them and commending Jesus to them. And here's how Paul is commending Jesus to them. Romans 15, 13. May the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16, 19 to 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. In Romans 16, 25, how can we strengthen one another? Because now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, he is commending that you will never face anything alone. He is commending that he will give you what you need to plant churches, to be a part of this gospel spreading mission, to encourage one another, to greet one another, to commend Christ. He is for you. And I end with a quote by Chuck Swindoll. He says this, In place of our exhaustion and spiritual fatigue, God will give us rest. All He asks is that we come to Him. That we spend a while thinking about Him. Meditating on Him. Talking to Him. Listening in silence, occupying ourselves with him, totally and thoroughly lost in the hiding place of his presence. You want to know the takeaway from Romans 16? Rest in the God of peace 
Rest in the God of grace that will always be with you. And as you do so, he will give you rest and give you Christ to give away and commend to one another and to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that all these jewels can be mined out of a passage that we many times would just walk right past. And Father, I pray that you would encourage treasuring Christ church through the reports of your grace in our midst among the workers that we have been so privileged and honored to partner with and send out those that we hopefully will one day get to visit where they are and encourage them where they are. Father, I pray that you would strengthen your church through the testimonies and the reporting of your work all over the world. Father, I ask that you would grant us a heart that greets, that welcomes, that is affectionate towards one another, that steps towards and not away, that asks, how can I pray for you? or seeks to understand and to listen to joys and pains. Father, I pray that you would give that strengthening grace. And I pray that as we talk to each other, we would look for where you are at work. We would commend you in one another and commend you to one another. May Jesus be on our lips because we have stopped and spent time with you, the God of peace, the God of all grace, you are with us. Please help us to come to you.